Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, that is not how I saw it coming down in this game four of Toronto and Milwaukee. Toronto, throughout the competitive portion of the game, 130 or more offensive rating basically the whole way. And this now is a little bit of a change in the tenor of the series. Maybe this is just a home win for what's been a, a resilient team. But this is the first time it looked like they're going to be able to crack open this Buck defense. And it's also important to note at the outset that this was not the Raptors pulling out a 130 offensive rating due to unsustainable three-point shooting. That is one easy way that a team can have an aberrational game and and really look, you know, can be a fool's goal type game in certain circumstances. Yeah, they did hit 24 or 27 free throws during the competitive portion of the game. But 14 to 39 from three, this Raptors team can do that. That's not completely ridiculous. And a few guys had hot nights. And remember that 14 to 39, that includes Norm Powell, the, the prevent offense they were playing, not criticizing Norm Powell for this. It was just that the, the Raptors weren't really getting much over those last few minutes. It was a little bit better than that, but not, not unsustainable. And I think it was important that the Raptors were generating better looks all over the floor. I thought they did a better job getting looks in strict area. They weren't relying as much on floaters. And maybe some of those advantages toned down in game five and six and seven but they looked so much more viable so much more competitive as well yeah, and it really was in every area that they improved the offensive glass through at halftime 35 percent offensive rebounds ibaka was dominant on the offensive glass four first half offensive rebounds for him he forced a, another team offensive rebound uh yeah they were moving the ball a lot better i mean we saw oh, sure. that so 32 assists on 41 made baskets and the bucks were moving the ball well too 29 on 36 but for toronto it wasn't as much of that isolation ball dribbling out of it hoping you get bailed out with foul they were getting good looks and importantly along those lines we wondered especially in those early milwaukee games about the dynamic between these two benches yeah you can look at plus minuses and and the toronto bench guys killed a plus minus and the milwaukee guys distinctly did not but this was fred van vliet's best game of this series probably his best game of the playoffs so far abaca looked comfortable getting to his mid-ranger and norm powell had some real highlights as well yeah he finished up six of 18 but a lot of that was as you mentioned trying to create offense on flaming bags in the fourth quarter but his three-point shooting early on i think he was four for his first eight from downtown that was really key his ability to drive a closeout quickly is something that we hadn't seen it and he's played really well against the bucks uh in pre he was really good you'll remember in that series back in 2017 when i think moving him into the starting lineup they were down 2-1 was a big part of changing that series for the raptors and he was good defensively he was really good uh the Kawhi on Giannis thing I still don't think the Bucks have quite solved that now Giannis got off early but that was all due to bad matching up and transition yeah, Danny, Danny, Green. Danny Green just like picking him up instead of getting back to his own guy and Giannis was getting those looks I mean so he finished 9 of 17 from the field I believe only a couple of those were plays that I would classify as at Kawhi Leonard's expense even though that was his primary matchup for a lot of the game and Giannis did get to the line 10 times 10 is reasonable for him it's not crazy or anything like that yeah well, it'd be nice if he hit a free throw too well i mean he airballed that one yeesh and he actually yeah. got the benefit of the overhead camera when he was shooting it so people didn't yeah. realize how bad it was and also we early you know talk about quiet I mean, not quiet i mean quiet was great but kyle lowry i thought lowry's 10 points in the early going he had i think 10 of their first 14 and was getting clean looks and then was was doing a nice job of attacking too and then later on he started getting a lot of free throws some of that was getting non-shooting fouls when milwaukee was in the bonus but that's a really good way to generate offense if you can pull it off especially with the best free throw shooters kyle lowry i mean was 10 of 10 from the line in this game and also i thought marcus's passing made a big yeah he had a couple of nice back doors to Kawhi. they finally took advantage of the top siding that middleton 
it had been doing uh, they also i'm not sure why it was but they had brogdon on Kawhi. it seemed like more than they had brogdon really struggled in this game offensively as well and for the bucks defense you know there are three pillars that their defense is built on one is not giving up any shots at the rim at all another one is not fouling and another one is protecting the defensive glass and they shored up the defensive glass a little bit in the second half but all three of those things really failed them tonight whether it was Ibaka whether it was Lowry on drives Powell getting to the basket Kawhi so the foul line and then uh they gave up more shots at the rim than normal also and it's worth emphasizing that this was not an example of feedback loops of the Bucks you know not scoring on offense and so they were getting back on defense and Toronto was killing them transition they were just getting beat and I mean in the competitive portion of this game Toronto had a 112 offensive rating in half court situation only and also being that efficient allowed Milwaukee or prevented Milwaukee from running as much they were still effective when they did big surprise but not being able to keep the proportion of half court possessions close I thought was a huge advantage for the Raptors whether or not that continues I'm a little bit skeptical but it was it was kind of you know I I won't go so far as to say proof concept but it was pretty close I mean you picked the Raptors in the series I thought that was totally reasonable even though I picked the Bucks and felt pretty good about it but the way they played the last two games you're like oh yeah that's the team we thought we'd see here's another really interesting stat for you Brooke Lopez plus one in this game Giannis negative 19 and I thought that when Lopez was not in the game that's really when we saw the cracks in the Bucks armor they went with Giannis and Miritich together Miritich was totally ineffective as a health defender and, and couldn't make him pay enough he missed I thought some really big threes particularly in the second quarter as Toronto was a, extending their lead and then Ilyasova another ineffective game for him I thought uh with four fouls in 13 minutes and then he played a little bit more late but uh I thought he really was getting traffic cone and pick and roll they were doing a great job especially in the third quarter of Kawhi picking him out and pick and roll defense going at him letting him be or forcing him to be a defender on ball instead of as a help defender which is what he wants to do um so it really I thought everything looked good for the Raptors and the Bucks tailed off in the fourth quarter offensively but you know they're 114 115 offensive rating but a lot of it was just because Chris Middleton was on fire he had 30 <laughs> 30 points 11 to 15 4 7 from three and you know he's a great mid-range shooter he's also the best three-point shooter in NBA playoff history of players who take more than four a game and have played over a thousand minutes but uh without that kind of unsustainable shot making from Middleton this is even more of a blowout and I still don't think that you know throw it to Chris Middleton every time is the type of half-court offense they want to play and beyond Middleton's own shot making he also did benefit from some open threes in the first half when Toronto was being very cognizant of Giannis drives in particular but Middleton was the leading assister for for yeah, the Bucks great for the Bucks and this entire him. game and he had zero turnover yeah so I mean he had a, a wonderful offensive performance and yeah that might not that might not sustain all, all the way but another big concern for Milwaukee has to be that this was another bad game for Eric Bledsoe this has been so overall yeah. for the series Bledsoe is at 8.3 points on 26 percent shooting and you want to guess his three-point percentage uh i think he's made one i'm gonna guess he's like one out of 15 a series so he's uh two he's two out of 18 so that's oh no i think it might even be more than that but yeah, they're 11 so espn uh, is listing it at nine nine percent uh yeah yeah that's it and, 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 and that's it's actually more damaging than that because they're conceding so many of those shots and so when this is something you and i talk about a lot it's not only for bad shooters but reluctant shooters or anything in that vein because their misses are bad but then every other possession where they're not making the opponent pay and they can just help out with impunity makes life harder on Giannis makes life harder on Brooke Lopez not in this game Chris Middleton but in many games Chris Middleton and they they have other options at the guard spots Brogdon and Hill and you wonder Bledsoe signed that significant but not like massive money extension but he's a part of this franchise's future do they consider just saying hey man you you if you don't play better we're gonna have to go to somebody else well I, I mean i think that process has started he played 20 minutes and george mm-hmm. hill played 27 and and you know bud certainly believes in getting those guys a, a lot of rest yeah but, and you'd worry about deactivating him too yeah. like if he and, and he has tried hard on defense yeah. he's supposed to be their third best player though That's you know, true. and he just has not been that and toronto i mean this is let's not lose sight of this this is a fabulous defensive team they really they really are and they don't have any weak links basically every once in a while you know danny green will take a bad gamble or something but he's one of the best rim protecting guards in nba history uh 
Van Fleet was awesome as a help defender. Uh, they've got Siakam guarding Bledsoe a lot of the time, so he's able to muck things up for Giannis. And, and the only time Giannis really beat Kawhi that I recall was when Kawhi helped off of him, and then he was able to get a runway and, and beat him with the spin move. But they're able to, between Kawhi getting into his body, between guys with great hands like Kawhi and Gasol stripping Giannis, and then the number of bodies that they're able to show off of guys like Bledsoe and Giannis has had some good passes but they haven't been able to make them pay often enough and then the other thing I would point to too is just you know Toronto you look at the three-point shooting for the game 34 percent 14 of 41 but the timing of when they hit their three-pointers I thought was huge to open up everything else it was and Lowry's early on I thought were well helped because Milwaukee actually was playing pretty well at the beginning of this game they had a lead Lowry helped keep them in it Powell's threes were at some big moments Van Vliet had two real backbreaker shots one was a three one was a two that three that was banked and then rimmed in and then he had a a two-point floater both of which I think were shot with one second or less remaining on the clock and really helped fortify that lead as they were kind of starting the prevent offense in there and yeah I agree with you a lot of those were at were at big moments Kawhi's three I thought was significant as well he also had a nice lefty dunk where he caught Giannis with kind of a quick one I thought that was I thought that was really nice and yeah I think I'm I'm really excited I think that's my my primary emotion from this partially you know the other series is over and now instead of it being you know like a a week wait just to see what the series is going to go this is going to be fun i mean we have at least two more games of the series the buck the bucks have to find their kind of find their rhythm again i certainly believe that they will in milwaukee but i'm excited this is gonna be fun yeah certainly uh, as regular listeners know bucks still a massive favorite in this series as the home team i mean it's a three game it's a three game series and they have two of the homes yeah but i mean if you look at the point differential here too you know now after this blowout from the raptors we're pretty much even in terms of uh, what this series has looked like and yeah the bucks have two of three games at home but they they have not solved this Kawhi on Giannis thing yet and Bledsoe you know certainly you'd expect their role players will play better at home you wouldn't expect Toronto's role players to all be plus 24 or better in the next game uh but you know this was not as you said some totally unsustainable shooting performance I mean the, the shot distribution for Toronto so much better uh and be very interested to see what happens in game five I mean Milwaukee certainly tried to do some things to free up Giannis they had a small set of screen for him to get to the the foul line so that he could try and operate there uh but it really was a defensive loss for the Bucs and that's where I I think the the biggest improvements need to be made so that then they can get their transition game going because I don't I don't think that they can score reliably on this Toronto team in the half court other than you know maybe going to Middleton and Middleton you know he's had Lowry on him a lot of times he's had Van Fleet on him he's able to shoot over those guys but I think that's a sacrifice that Toronto is willing to make if you're you can take away Giannis and all the stuff at the rim and the open three-pointers that Giannis can generate that's the one thing about Middleton is you know he may post up he may shoot over you from two-point range but you're not he's not going to generate open threes at the level that someone like Giannis is when he has to help right at the rim yeah he doesn't create the panic he doesn't and, and yes he did have seven assists zero turnovers in this game but remember he went off offensively and the Bucks in the competitive portion of the game had a 93 offensive rating in the half court that's not terrible 93 is is doable I mean and especially if they're getting in transition but remember that comes on the heels of of game three where they really struggled in terms of half court offense so yeah it's worth keeping an eye on so another adjustment for the Bucks. maybe it's time for uh kumbaya bud to change things up and start playing certain guys more have been effective brooke lopez would be the number one guy to me where you know again he's he wants to shuttle his bigs in i mean i think it seemed like he was just shuttling those guys in and out every three minutes regardless of how it was going trying to keep them fresh but i think lopez has just been so much more effective than miritich or Ilyasova in the series other than that one crazy Ilyasova game that i think you need to go there a, a little bit more and you know maybe play brooke lopez 35 minutes in the next game because he the defense still he is such a massive upgrade on these other guys defensively along those lines it might be time to start considering miritich being removed from the starting lineup especially yeah. if brogdon's playing if feeling good enough where you i mean he's playing 28 minutes so he's the the workload is okay i would go with brogdon over hill in those minutes just because hill i think he he provides more of a foil but and, and it would give the bucks another place to generate i mean think about how big a change this is from last year when you and i spent an entire an entire playoff series on the nba cast talking about malcolm brogdon taking too long to make a decision this year he's been one of their most reliable guys attacking straight off the catch and i think that'd be really useful in the starting lineup yeah i agree with you there and you know maybe maybe brogdon needs to play more than 20 
minutes if he's capable of it with uh that plantar fasciitis issue and you know we thought the fatigue would be a major problem for the raptors that was not the case and to for the raptors too to get only 26 points out of siakam and leonard you know siakam did nothing offensively in this game he was in, in foul trouble throughout deserved foul trouble uh you know gasol going three of six from three again and i think he was four of eight last game I and mean, that's massive too you know if he's if, if he goes back to playing like he did in milwaukee then we're talking about this series well, completely different. and ibaka seven and nine from two a yeah. lot of those being two-point jump shots i think that's really important a, a lot of different positives that that toronto can take from the from this game and i mean outside of Giannis, and i mean middleton played fantastically in this game they just i think they just it might even be as you said more about the proportion of minutes that these guys are playing rather than guys playing better yeah certainly but so i mean i think that's important but like yeah brick lopez playing 25 minutes and it did turn into a blowout but it didn't turn into a blowout so early that it makes sense that lopez played 25 minutes he can i think he can handle more of a workload yeah and now i mean you know bud might say hey we were two minutes away from getting a lead we outplayed them in game three we should have won in game three and we would be up three zero and the series would be over so i don't want to i'm not going to change up my philosophy after one game but if you lose this game you're in big trouble if you've got any arrows left in the quiver you damn well better fire them in this game five because if you lose this you're in deep trouble although recall that stat that i had last time where teams that win the first two lose the next three and are down three two are still eight and seven in the series um but you know i would that could just be a fluke too i wouldn't yeah there could be there could i mean in only a 15 series sample there could be some some outliers but my amazing analysis is they should try to win game five um so (laughs) another thing i might say is whatever pet plays you've got to help eric bledsoe run them get a little more high pick and roll at gasol maybe maybe that would be helpful and try to generate low resistance switches everywhere everywhere you can create an advantage on Giannis, on bledsoe any anything you can do even if even if it's a small advantage something better than than the base lineups and and, you know toronto has done a great job at double teaming when they've gotten a matchup uh, that they've liked uh or that they've disliked i should say uh, on Giannis in particular and you know bledsoe has not done a lot of pick and roll that milwaukee ran more pick and roll in this game than i can ever recall them running frankly um in particular for middleton going against gasol and gasol can be taken advantage of out in space but it's tough to run pick and roll for bledsoe when you know he's just so off from three point range and the bigger problem that i have here too for him is oh for two well yeah you, i know he's two for 18 in the series but then he stopped even thinking about taking him he was looking he was doing the omri caspi cut instead of of just cutting right into guys hanging out in the dunker spot and that's the last thing they need i mean they need him to stand out there and they need him to take those shots now if there's a, a hard double team and he's got a chance to cut right down the lane for a dunk or something fine but a lot of times he's just kind of hanging out away from the three-point line so we'll see here i mean this is uh this is a good raptors team i'm glad at least for my own personal edification that my pick isn't looking so ridiculous even though of course as i said milwaukee looks like a favorite in the series it is time for spring cleaning oh man i i always just loathe when my mom would use those terms and she she knew that i hated it too and she'd always bring it up in this sing-songy voice oh time for spring cleaning but fortunately i'm not talking about actually cleaning your house this is much easier and much better cleaning your teeth with the quip toothbrush quip can help you pave the way to a healthier mouth and mind in just two minutes twice a day it's got a timer that runs for that two minutes every 30 seconds it'll pulse reminding you to shift to a different quadrant of your mouth it's definitely the best electric toothbrush out there because it's the size of a normal toothbrush it's got this AAA battery that lasts for three months so you don't have to worry about charging it you just throw it in your dop kit if you're on the move it comes with this nice case that you can tack up uh, on your mirror if you've got limited counter space Uh, another reason why quip is better because you don't have that huge charging stand that you have with other electric toothbrushes and if you've got kids the whole family can get refreshed with quip thanks to the new kids quip which has the same two minute timer and guiding pulses their original version it's got a small brush head, watermelon anti-cavity toothpaste, and rubber grip handles in colors that little ones will love. They've now gotten up to over a million happy, healthy mouths using Quip. And they started just $25, much less expensive as well than many other electric toothbrushes. So go to getquip.com slash capspace right now. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about that all the time on the program here. That'll get you your first refill pack for free. That's the other advantage of Quip is you can sign up for a subscription service to get toothpaste 
paste refills you're not worrying then that your brush head is worn out you have to keep it in your mind oh has it been three months or not just the new brush head comes you put it on and you don't have to time that out in your mind so once again get quip getquip.com slash cap space so when you get started with them and don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us so game four we did not record on last night a 3-0 series the outcome was fait accompli but just as we look back on it now a 119-117 warriors win in overtime what sticks out to you the most Andy? this was a huge series for both Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Draymond's defense was so important when Durant was out and then in this game Iguodala being unavailable as well they the Warriors have lost their critical mass of intelligent long defenders that that has been such an important part of their defensive identity during this run Kevon Looney I thought really stepped up as well so you know this was another one we've seen a few of these games where Portland absolutely had a chance to win it you could argue that they should have won it but once it was close late I kind of had a feeling of where this was going because remember this was another game Portland had a had a significant lead they were, had double digits in the first half. I think it was cut to eight at halftime. Might have even been six. And Portland, you know, they they when it got down to it, their their offense started slowing down a little bit. They were taking tougher shots. They weren't going in as much. And then their defensive execution, which I thought was much better overall in the game, it just wasn't at the same level of the Warriors. And when a game is close late, that's you know that's a, a tough way to win. Yeah, they defended well enough in the last ten minutes of the game, including the overtime, to win. Steph Curry did not score in the last ten minutes, but. Portland down the end once more just could not score we saw that in the second half of game three last five minutes of the fourth quarter in game two and obviously in this game as well and they had pretty darn good looks you know I, I think Damon CJ would both look back and say hey we had our chances here on pretty darn good shots that we just could not get to fall the Warriors you mentioned the comeback this was an unbelievable stat and they did it again last night since Steve Kerr has become the coach the Warriors have 11 victories in the playoffs after trailing by 15 or more points at some point in the game the rest of the nba has four in that time frame and what that is just an absolutely insane statistic to to think about and you know with the warriors like ah you know they're down 15 whatever they're never out of it but to compare that to the rest of the nba where i mean i think of how many playoff games that we have you know there's like 90 playoff games every year and to have it only happen four times outside of the warriors i mean that's and the warriors have done it 11 times that, that just shows maybe it shows that they should be playing harder at the beginning or maybe it shows that they just wear teams down by the end uh, with their execution and that's a pretty pretty incredible statistic one that i think is one of the more remarkable of this run for the warriors who have now reached a record fifth straight finals uh at least going back to when there's conferences there were divisions back when the celtics did it but the first team since the celtics to make five straight nba finals and that was uh in 1966 that that celtics streak ended they won eight straight championships from 1959 through 66 one of the other stories of this game that we should talk about in the early going is myers leonard Myers Leonard. Sorry, was, I, I was, got caught up there. It was minute. insane. I mean, 25 points on 10 of 12 from the field, 5 of 6 from 3 in the first half. He was molten, the, making the Warriors pay. They were they were pretty aggressively helping and doubling on Portland's guards. You know, a strategy that has worked in the past, but Leonard does give them an additional wrinkle there that he can hit those shots. We've talked on the NBA cast and on this podcast about him being the best passer of Portland's big men, and that was really on full display. Now, he was significantly more quiet in the second half he had five points five points on two of and, and to me more importantly on two shots I think you know that he wasn't just getting the volume up there and yeah. and so yeah, the, the Warriors did a lot more switching in the second half right to, yeah to they, they got away to try to take him away and I thought that did well and there has been I mean some of it is just due to the nature of nature of my work this I, I've been really interested with how Kerr and the Warriors coaching staff has handled these additional injuries so like each injury the Warriors have had has changed the rotation and they were getting to the point where there just weren't that many options because they're they were always thin on the perimeter it was something we've, something that had come up over the course of the season so Alfonso McKinney starts plays 26 minutes including the entire overtime Livingston had some nice minutes in the fourth quarter Jacob Evans even got on the floor didn't particularly look like he belonged but he got on the floor hey third plus three in his minutes he, they he, were uh, yeah he and he had, had a, a he had a transition defensive play where he made a layup harder and I think it was CJ missed it 
And to get through that, I mean, yes, it, it helps to to have Curry and Draymond and Clay Thompson at the controls and really making life easier on those guys. But to, to get just enough from them was important. And I thought I, I, I was expecting, hoping to see a little bit more from Portland's bench, their starter, you know, the, the M- Leonard, McCollum, Lillard combo. They all had very productive games. Seth Curry was largely a non-factor after being so good in, I believe that was game two of this series. Kanner had some yeah. moments. I thought he actually did pretty well against Bogut, which was a matchup yeah. that Kerr kind of went to. Seth was good defensively again. In yeah, this one. yeah, and he was, he good was in most of the time in those last ten minutes when uh, Steph Curry, although he missed some pretty good shots. Uh, yeah, was he, was, he was their best defender on Steph Curry in the series easily? Yeah, yeah, and it, that I wonder how that will work as a selling point for him in free agency because I mean he he did a really good job and his free agency is is something that I'm, I'm very interested in. It might come up in the very near term, and you know Evan Turner played a lot, Rodney Hood played a lot it was an overtime game a lot of guys did and I think Portland has a lot to think about and my my offseason preview of them will be out on Wednesday so most most people have access to it around the same time you listen to this podcast and one of the kind of questions that I think can bridge the gap between this and we're going to talk about their offseason is just defining success and how this front office ownership group feel about where the Blazers are and there is no right or wrong answer but I walk away from this series going well whatever way that they felt beforehand is probably the way they feel because yeah they did get swept but they got swept in the conference finals they beat two very capable teams even though they weren't elite teams to get there and so maybe maybe capable (laughs) let's go let's go with capable that would be be my adjective well compare them to the bottom of the east you know like if we're if we're gonna i mean yeah they weren't the top 10 like necessarily teams in the league but they were definite playoff teams and you know had talent i mean especially the nuggets so yeah no and that was and that was a team that i think most people picked to be portland so and, and, one, and actually, one, I mean, one they of won us two did. upset series uh, uh although i i liked them in the first series you liked them in the second series but which which was fun the only two disagreements we had in the playoffs so far were those two. Oh yeah, yeah and then the then the series that the bucks raptor series is still going but yeah so i i think that part of it for portland for me is is the question of i, I if i if it were my team i would be totally fine with that also because it's so hard for them to get from where they are into the rarefied air that like the warriors are in and the Bucks and the Raptors. So maybe they can't even realistically get there. But that's, you know, it's a definitional question. Some owners might say, some management groups might say, well, if we can't get to the top, maybe we should do something different. And I don't know how Shea feels or how their ownership feels. Yeah. And I, we don't even know necessarily who their ownership group is going to be. A great point. Going forward compared to that. But, but we're probably getting a little bit too far into the offseason. You know, Steph Curry finished off what has been a, a unbelievable five and one quarter game run since Kevin Durant went down 66% true shooting averaging basically 35 points during that period again this is not against a typical Western Conference Finals level of defense we need a so much of the analysis that's going to come out of this season and these players and all that is going to probably lose sight of the fact that the real Western Conference Finals was in the second round but this has been a fantastic run for Curry granted this is a great matchup for him with the team that excludes exclusively drops the big it's a great matchup for Draymond Green because he doesn't need to guard anyone at the four Portland does not have a credible stretch four option at all uh the other thing that really was crazy about this that again highlights for Portland the lack of versatility in their roster was that the Warriors completely destroyed them on the boards in this series they had 15 offensive rebounds most of their buckets in the last 10 minutes came of either Draymond Green jumpers or offensive rebounds by McKinney who is a wonderful rebounder for his size uh and Kevon Looney, who had six offensive rebounds, but you know, Looney has the versatility to defend and then get on the glass. He's a little light in the shorts for a, a lot of post matchups, but with Myers Leonard or whoever the big was having to get out on the floor and then Looney being able to just go feast on the offensive glass, it's pretty remarkable. Steph Curry having four offensive rebounds was pretty awesome, also. And Portland just not necessarily being a fast break team allowed the Warriors to hit the offensive glass a little bit more. So uh, Kerr was very aggressive in this one too Steph sat for six minutes in the first half and then did not sit for the last 35 minutes of the game and that enabled the Warriors to get back into contact and tied up but Steph was clearly gassed by the end and as I mentioned didn't score in the last 10 minutes in 
part due to good Blazers defense. Another thing that I'll say too for the Blazers is I like they did more seamless switching. They're getting through screens. You didn't see in this game just as nearly as many communication errors as you saw when they were trying to. But I mean that's the issue, right? I mean we saw the Cavs struggle with this too, where the first two games against the Warriors in a lot of those series they'd come in and just be like blowing switches and just you know couldn't guard anyone and so finally the Blazers got used to it but by that point the series is basically over so it's it shows just how different of a team this Warriors group is than any other team in the NBA where really if you're not switching or you don't just have unbelievable defensive talent on the perimeter that can get through screens and unbelievable rim protection and really mobile rim protection you're just not going to stop this team with the shooting and the off-ball movement that they have it really and and it all starts of course with Steph Curry who's just such an, an amazing offensive force one other thing to note too this is the first time in NBA history that two teammates had tri- triple doubles in the same game that was Draymond and Steph Curry Draymond again just like what he's been able to do offensively admittedly against two teams Houston and Portland that don't have much rim protection I'd be very interested to see how he fares in the next series no matter who they play as far as like what whether his offense can continue at this rate getting to the basket and attacking because he's not you know that athletic but he was one of the more athletic guys in both of these series uh but yeah i mean certainly the warriors deserve uh to enjoy their coronation once again as west champions well and and significantly now they get a lot of time off and we remember that the timeline for kevin durant and demarcus cousins was that they would be a re they would be reevaluated this week there was some yeah thursday is when that's supposed to occur when that's supposed to occur so then the the thursday is a full week away from game one of the nba finals so no nothing definite but i would guess at least one maybe both of them will be back for game one and then what capacity it will be be an open question something that we'll have to learn over the course of that series but having nine days for the guys who had to carry a larger burden in this series to rest and then for the players who are recovering to recover it is very important i will talk blazers off season momentarily here also got some news to get to but first a new sponsor to tell you about i've been really disheartened by how bad traffic is where i live in the bay area these days i live in the east bay i used to go into the city all the time like for lunch or something during the day and now it's basically like you have this one hour period where it's possible to get around in the city uh and then the rest of the time it's just gridlock and whether that's due to more ride sharing more people in the area they're definitely not building it any more roads traffic is just really rough even when you're doing ride sharing a lot of times it just takes 15 minutes for the guy to get around the block to pick you up because it's just so gridlocked so that's what boosted is trying to get past now their vehicle grade electric skateboards and scooters are the modern solution to your transportation woes they have a 22 mile range can go up to 24 miles an hour you can run to the store with them you can travel across town they've got five options including their new scooter the boosted rev there's a personal electric vehicle that's tailor-made for you it was named one of time's best inventions of 2018 and they start at just just $61 a month with financing. So that's two bucks a day and you're skipping all of the gridlock. You can go in the bike lane. They're made to be portable and stowable so you can take them into wherever your destination is. There's no better time to change how you move, how you commute. The average American is spending 50 minutes a day commuting. Our time is really our most valuable asset. And you know I love things that save me time, and Boosted is one of those. Right now, Boosted is offering our listeners $75 off the purchase of an electric vehicle using the code CAPSPACE at checkout. Easy remember CAPSPACE. We talk about it all the time on the program. The Trailblazers will not have CAPSPACE this offseason, but you can have some extra CAPSPACE in your wallet, $75 worth, to save on the purchase of an electric vehicle from boostedboards.com once again boostedboards.com use that cap space code to get 75 dollars off and let them know of course that you came from us so we should probably start here danny with the news from chris haynes that the portland trailblazers will in fact offer the designated player veteran extension to dame lillard this is going to be very interesting this will be the second one assuming that it goes through as haynes reported and that lillard takes it which i think he would be insane not to it would start when Lillard is 31 so he's got two more years left at 29 and 31 million so it wouldn't start until the 21 22 season and then would go four years out after that taking him through age 34 or, or age 35 season when he'll be making you know those crazy numbers probably be over 50 million or so uh by that point and it's just man there aren't really contract extensions anymore in the NBA that you can sign two years before the end of your contract there's a few 
few scenarios where you could do that, but this will only be the second one we've seen besides John Wall. And Lillard is a better player now than Wall was at the time he signed his, but he's also older, probably will age better due to shooting. He doesn't have the injury concerns that Wall had. But you see, you know, summer of 2017 when Wall agreed to his Wizards coming off a game seven of the conference semifinals. And look at how much has changed now in two years before this thing has even kicked in. And, you know, we saw another one with Russell Westbrook. Again, another guy who's not the same type of game as Dame. Dame's game, I think, is going to age better than Westbrook's. But when you agree to these extensions a year before they're going to kick in, two years before they're going to kick in, and then, I mean, this we're talking about six years from now is when this contract would end. It's going to be awful. I mean, now do they, you could say they don't have a choice. You could say they want to reward him. I guarantee you that giving out this contract will not make the Portland Trailblazers a better basketball team in the 23-24 and 24-25 season. So that's something to consider. Maybe they don't have a choice, but this was going to get ugly by the end. And it ties in with the probably about 10-minute premature soliloquy I did about defining success and figuring out where where the Blazers are in in everything because locking in Lillard, assuming he signs it, and I agree with you that he absolutely should, there is theoretically a possibility so he, by virtue of making an All-NBA team this year, becomes eligible to sign it next year, which would mean that you would replace, basically you could add an extra year at the end of it because one year has passed on, on his current contract, but that doesn't require the Blazers to offer it or anything like that. So I, I and from his perspective, I don't think you want to play that game. You have you have the $191 million in new money on the table. You just just sign it. It's there. Um, But then, yeah, I mean, not only well, do you well, have- so, so real quickly on, on that point, I mean, because he's made the all NBA two years in a row. So he will be eligible for this next year as Correct. well. Now, if he has to sign it next year, then it's five years going out after that. So now you're extending the time horizon another year, but you're also saying, okay, let's see how this next year goes and whether we even want to offer it to you at that time, or maybe you can have it decline a little bit or have some non guarantees or something like that. Uh, if it were me, I would try to wait, but certainly the idea that, hey, you have the, this is why this is something, another rule that was supposed to help the owners but it's not going to it's going to hurt them because now it's like oh you had the chance to offer me this like all the shit that i've been doing for this team and you're not going to do it you're, you're gonna make me wait another year uh well so my yeah. what i'm more interested in is if the blazers offer this and he declines it with the idea of getting it a year later rather than the blazers not doing it like because for me that's just too much risk to pass up oh yeah yeah i, I mean he's got to take it you, you, yeah. it's just you know what it's like four years 200 million dollars basically yeah and, and so adding almost 50 million dollars locked in per year to the Blazers books for those seasons makes it significantly harder for them to adjust remember that Lillard's contract as of right now expires at the same time as CJ's so they those things line up Nurkic the the, in that 21-22 season has a partial guarantee but assuming he's healthy that contract the 12 million looks like a a team-friendly number so they could just keep him on that now one thing that I think actually would make more sense would be to just do a normal extension that was in increase to five years including the remaining seasons on the contract in this new cba so you could add three years on top of it that last year is 31.6 million so you take 120 percent of that you're not quite at the amount that the designated player would start at which would be 42 million dollars but you're pretty close you're in the high 30s and then you could do three years on top of that that actually i think would be closer to a fair deal for the organization and worth noting also that cj mccollum could also extend for three years right now he's two years into that four-year deal but not a ton of impetus to do that yet if on the blazers but going back to lillard i don't really see why dame would take that right now if you do have the designated veteran extension on the table if he didn't have the option of that and they offered him that three-year extension right now i bet you he would do it so this is a another instance where this designated player veteran extension if the guy wants to stay the extension rules are good enough now because he's started under that 2016 cba so it's not like the situation with Kyrie irving or jimmy butler where his old salary was so low that 120 percent of that isn't getting close to market value in this case he would be able to do that but because there's this other one out there and you have to offer him the most to give him the respect that he thinks he deserves they're probably going to do that and it's going to be i think a, a very difficult contract to deal with by the end so if 
Lillard signs this, then that means he cannot be traded for any reason for one year, meaning 12 months. And we'll have to see how teams feel about his contract. I mean, to me, you sign this contract with the intention of playing it out with that team. But theoretically, the, the Blazers do have some agency here if things go south. But the problem is he has to, like, he kind of has to be positive value in order to really move it. This is the John Wall problem. It needs to be positive value to move it. But if he's positive value, then you don't want to move it. So I, it's another factor. Like, there's this idea that, oh, you lock in the money now and then you could try to, if, if things turn sour, which they absolutely have not in Portland, but if they do, let's say in the next two years, then you could move while already having the 35% max in. But that's a, a huge commitment for another team to take on. Also, just down the pike, Terry Stotts, you'll recall that last year, his job was potentially in jeopardy. He has received a contract extension. Neil O'Shea just broke that at the press conference, end of season press conference a couple of minutes ago. So well-deserved for him. We don't know the details uh, on that yet, but let's turn to what they can actually do to improve this offseason. And I think we'll make the assumption that Yusuf Nurkic is going to be back and be their starting center next year. I think that's consistent. The big variable probably is al Farouk Aminu, who is finishing up what was a nice value contract, but really fell out of favor at the end of the Denver series. And then in this series against Golden State, the last time that he saw the floor was just not guarding his man and giving up a, an easy fast break layup early in the third quarter. And as soon as that happened, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And then Terry Stotts immediately turns and goes down the bench to get Roddy Hood in the game. And that's the last we saw, I believe, of Aminu. And maybe that'll be his last moment in a blazer uniform how important is he to what they do uh you know in the regular season there's been times when they haven't been able to defend without him uh, on the floor when he's been injured but uh, wasn't a major part here of the playoff run by the end i think he's important especially due to positional scarcity both in the league generally and on their roster portland doesn't to me have a clear-cut replacement out there they don't and it's not even like they have a backlog of threes in case they wanted to move harkless to the four you know go a little bit smaller at that spot they have you know scal they have jake layman's going to be a restricted free agent maybe they could bring him back and they do have they do have bird rights on alfaru gaminu he signed that signed that team-friendly contract before the cap exploded way back in in the wee hours of july 1st of, of 2015 and to put it in a little bit more perspective if you wipe off portland's free agents you know if you wipe off those guys entirely and you keep their draft pick they're right around the luxury tax line and so what that means as a practical perspective is if they want to keep a menu they at least start going into the tax they could pull their way back out by a couple of different mechanisms but the expenditure that they make for him at least in the near term gets you know it's going to get expensive for them and sadly with paul allen's passing we don't know if that is more of an impediment than it used to be. yeah it also doesn't help uh, that they've got a, around five million dollars in dead money on their books that with their draft pick they're looking at 11 players on, under contract right now other free agents for them in addition to aminu rodney hood who they do not have bird rights on yeah people can recall it's that unusual circumstance where rodney hood signed his qualifying offer and by doing so he gave himself an implicit no trade clause and the reason he got that implicit no trade clause is because by waiving it he lo- he lost his bird rights his full bird rights right yeah so they they can only pay him unless they want to dip into an exception which would probably have to be the mini mid level which starts at 5.7 this offseason you can go up to a three-year deal there that would be just under 18 million uh so they're limited to paying him 4.2 million seth curry same issue with him they'd be limited to paying him 3.4 million dollars this year 120 percent of what he made last year on that one-year deal they've also got jake layman as a restricted free agent interested to see how much they value him do they think that he can step into a rotation role this year if aminu leaves so they try to make him the qualifying offer play hardball with him try to get him back for something around the minimum and it's cancer another guy who you imagine probably will not be back next year once again you know they cancer they'd be limited to paying him the minimum because they remember they just signed him on the buyout market so they would have to dip into that mini mid-level again to pay him more so these are some pretty key contributors for them off their bench and then also you look at evan turner myers leonard possibly mo harkless 
as guys that they could either try to move to reduce the tax bill maybe open up the full mid-level exception of 9.2 million instead uh you could see those guys potentially getting stretched as well leonard obviously had that awesome gaming in game four and provided you know i think showed some signs as an offensive center that he could be a quality piece but he's just atrocious defensively uh so it's tough to play him and you know certainly not worth his salary now they've already got so much money stretched going forward already they still got andrew nicholson going three more years at 2.8 million it's uh it's me very interesting here i mean they i think they can rebuild this bench in a way that they could actually be better next year they might not make it to the conference finals just due to the seating or whatever but i think they could rebuild this bench to get contributions from players who are better than turner and leonard and maybe harkless if they can get rid of that money the question is do you want to give up a first round pick to get off of that money to use the full mid-level to have enough room under the tax to re-sign someone like hood or curry if you if you went three years for seth curry at starting at 3.4 million is that enough for him Ah, maybe hood same thing maybe you know starting at four million go three years four years is that enough for them probably hood probably not i think he still has aspirations of doing a little better curry in his late 20s you know i think he's always he's probably resigned to his fate of being more of a backup guard hood might still envision himself as a starter elsewhere i don't know what do you think the chances are that they or were you going to go in another direction no no let's do that and something to keep in the back of your mind is neil o'shea had a talented bench last year a lot of those guys signed what ended up being team-friendly contracts shabazz napier in brooklyn pat Connaughton in milwaukee and they just basically said we can we can find yeah. the next pat Connaughton instead of paying the current yeah. one even though he did well get yeah it. even though it didn't co- i mean that's why i thought it was i mean how good would they look right now if they had pat Connaughton and shaz napier on non-guarantees napier's qualifying offer was a little bit better a little bit lower but uh or a little bit higher i should say the more i think about this now i i do think aminu especially with the way it ended for him is probably not gonna be back well and remember he has choice in the matter too like he of he's course, an unrestricted yeah. free agent so he could just yeah. see what i think there are other say. teams that are just gonna value what he brings more than portland as they've had to live with his playoff deficiencies for years now i agree with you and i don't think this is going to become a thing but portland theoretically has flexibility for the 2020 offseason that's when lillard and mccollum will still be on their current contracts even if lillard extends it won't affect that number Nurkic is on a reasonable contract they could clear you know if you add in roster holds they're in the kind of 20 million dollar range and they don't really have a lot of filler salary the guys they have are really good you could make an argument that they would have you know re-signing Mo Harkless there are a couple different ways they could do it but long-term commitments make it significantly more likely that they'd be an over-the-cap team and that long-term commitment could be signing one of the guys we just talked about or it could be using the stretch provision so yes that would significantly reduce if not eliminate their luxury tax bill for the upcoming 1920 season but it could limit significantly limit their flexibility moving forward and that's why yeah maybe maybe the idea of trading one of those guys can be on the table that's probably going to be a little bit later in the offseason portland can pull that off you know see who has cap space that they don't know what to do with make them make them an offer that is is a reasonable one in terms of asset price per dollar taken on especially if it's an expiring contract and yeah so that's calibrating what ownership however we're defining it how they feel about paying the luxury tax i think that's an important yeah. question because getting below the tax for this team for the 1920 season is going to require some significant sacrifices like they on paper will not be as good a team next year if the tax is a is a hard line or even if they have to mitigate significantly from it. i'm not sure about that just because you might be able to if you get low enough you, you might be able to use the full mid-level and, and get a different caliber of player in there that i think there actually are yeah i guess, I guess in, then for the 1920 season then theoretically yeah. like let's say you swap myers leonard for an mle guy or yeah. myers leonard and aminu probably more practically for an mle guy yeah that's actually- yeah yeah or maybe maybe the trade is all right we'll throw our first round pick in and they've got some some young guys on this team that they want to develop they've still got collins they've got anthony simons uh, gary trent it was barely played all year they might feel like all right we've got enough young guys here the 25th pick so maybe if we package that and myers leonard we could get someone who could play you know that's probably not enough for for turner necessarily and you know hopefully they haven't been seduced into the fact that just you know turner was the foreman in some of their best moments in these playoffs i still think he's just so limited uh offensively he's he's taken seven three-point attempts in the last 60 days (laughs) i mean that's like he's not even pretending to shoot those anymore uh so yeah that's it's a really interesting question and also the question of okay if we pay the tax this year and we don't stretch these 
these guys how does that impact what we look like in a potential sale to next year generally owners probably want clean books going forward they want to have assets going forward in terms of draft picks so maybe you can make the team more palatable to sell in going into the summer of 2020 if you take all the hits now that maybe that's a a consideration well uh, one thing i think we should do let's say Amu leaves and we won't count any of the free agents at, at this point in time so you've got your one and your two position filled you've got your five filled with Nurkic Harkless is probably your starting three or four but you'd probably prefer it be a four you've got your backup center with Collins let's not count Turner or Leonard for now maybe they could move one of those guys and those guys are not really that great anyway so what you really need then is you definitely need a backup point guard you need a forward yeah you, you need someone to take up some of those minutes maybe that ends up being Turner if he, if he sticks around I still you know again we, we're not high on him uh you know maybe that's layman if if they bring him back he is re- restricted so they if he they want him to be on the team next year they have the control to do that maybe there's a thought that simons or gary trent could step in to be a backup too you know simon's a little better on the ball but uh you know maybe it's possible that if they split up damon cj again that simons could play next to either of those guys and provide some offense you know, i'm not sure if simons is ready or not they didn't give him much run this year but they had a lot of backcourt depth so yeah i mean i think really the biggest thing that they need is a starting quality three man and hey welcome to the situation of 25 of the 30 teams in the nba it well, seems and, like and even this if season. and even if they had let's say the full mid-level exception to work with yeah which they probably will not that is still not enough to get a forward for the the threshold that they want i mean remember they're you know this is a team that want that made the conference finals this year that wants to be in that mix moving forward and there aren't that many forwards that are starting caliber and the ones that are there you know like for example let's let's use Bojan Bogdanovic. Bojan Bogdanovic is not going to Portland for the mid-level exception. Whatever mid-level exception you're talking about, he's getting more money than that. Yeah, I think, you know who I think would be a really nice fit for them? Probably as a three would be uh, Wes Matthews. Bring him back. Yeah, I'd like Wes there. That would be an interesting one. I hope hope Nikola Mirotic gets way more money than this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like they got to get what, and whether Harkless is the three or the four, I mean, you can get, it's easier in some ways at the four and you can invert the offense. Harkless is a good finisher around the rim uh and it's easier to find some at the four than than at the three mm-hmm. uh who could be useful but they gotta get a, a a guy i mean especially if you're thinking about matching up against golden state or houston you know where pj tucker same thing could just not guard whoever their four man was uh they gotta get a guy who's gonna knock it down from right that's why that's from why that ad, that new starter position that's why i brought up miritich theoretically marcus morris i think his price tag is probably gonna be higher than this as well but yeah. morris this could be another solid like jared dudley mm-hmm bench guy situation but at 33 you know asking him to play more than about 20 minutes a game you know, he's had some muscle issues it is tough um you know certainly they could try to bring hood back uh garrett temple would be another solid fit on this team i think reggie bullock is maybe someone they could look at uh damari carroll all these guys could be in the mix for seemingly every team but that's because those three and t type of guys yeah i wouldn't be surprised to see areas. wilson chandler get mentioned there just as another uh, if, if aminu goes just as another option i don't i'm not particularly inspired by him but yeah. Yeah. more in their price range james ennis maybe yeah so maybe what they do to start off is try to see if they can get something out of simons and trent and you know get one more low cost option I, I i think you offer seth curry as much as you can pay him maybe even go four years hell uh if if that appeals to him you know you're in the the range of a four-year probably 16 million dollar deal maybe 15 million dollar deal generally four years for that low of a starting salary you just don't see contracts like that so that may not be realistic but i think if you can't get curry back using his non-bird rights dipping into an exception to me probably doesn't make sense i think you you just have to get more in terms of a, a stretch four. Uh, i mean if they get low enough they could maybe use the the bae on someone as well uh hood same thing i mean i think they would love to offer him a contract starting at non-bird but i don't dipping into an exception again for hood doesn't make a ton of sense for me and and also i just don't think this is one of those things where aminu is probably more valuable for a mid-level a team a guy who can shoot a little bit and 
and you know is a better regular season player where he's gonna get guarded more because teams just aren't as attuned to not guarding certain guys like they are in the playoffs and he can defend it at that position you know he he could really help a lot of teams but i think they just with his limitations it doesn't make sense to pay him you know what could be eight figure a year salary um all right anything else on these guys no i think that's i think that's about it uh and yeah i mean the timing of when they want their money to be spread out i think is is a super important issue and the sale potential sale is is a huge component there and we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about how olshay in this front office thinks about money now we won't know everything but we'll know a lot all right we got some news that's piled up here now the all rookie first team is out and it is the top five picks on the all rookie first team i guess the all rookie second team came out too i didn't look at who was on it but i'll uh, read it out. uh top five picks in the draft are the all rookie first team since 1984 which of course featured akeem jordan and barkley all in uh the top five that year. i was really hoping you were going to start with sam Bowie, but but alas yeah. sam Bowie might have been okay had it happened yeah very fair, fair point and uh luca and trey young both got named on every ballot as they should have been and then deandre jaron jackson marvin bagley in that order second team shea gilgis alexander colin sexton landry shamit mitchell robinson and kevin herter i think that's pretty close i i don't i had a few little quibbles with it but generally speaking i think that's tim Connolly will stay in denver contrary to the way it seemed like this was going he met friday with ted leonsis then had some meetings with josh Kroenke back in denver over the weekend and my guess would be that josh Kroenke decided to fork over a little more money and that's a big part of why Connolly is staying it had been reported by fred katz that Connolly was making around two million dollars so that's very low money for a president of basketball operations which he had been promoted to so good for denver i am glad that my prediction that they would cheap out again and, and who knows maybe he just golly just wasn't impressed by washington's offer and Cronky isn't paying him more but my educated guess would be that they are now paying him more and good job by denver whether it's by paying him more or josh Cronky being very persuasive in a meeting or whatever it is to not lose another really good gm the way they did with messiah yeah, and Connolly has done a nice job finding value throughout the draft and though it can be the whole front office it just like we sometimes run into problems giving co- uh, an individual head coach credit for things the whole coaching staff does the whole front office you know it can be different people but it seems like Connolly's run a good ship there and you end up giving credit to the captain i'll also give credit to Stephen a smith and max kellerman and the rest of the crew at first take for an awesome interview with magic johnson just from a journalistic perspective but magic needed little encouragement as he skewered the entire lakers organization uh and the, the new orleans pelicans to some degree as well so here are a few of the nuggets to come out of this number one that rob palinka was in fact who he was referring to when he talked to, about the backstabbing that rob and others were supposedly talking shit about magic about how he's not in the office and not working hard enough magic didn't necessarily dispel that that he wasn't working hard enough but he says he told genie bus that he's got all these other business interests where he makes a lot more money than what they're paying with the lakers which was a reported 10 million dollars and was it okay if he wasn't gonna be around and genie bus said yes and i i put that on genie bus more than i put it on magic why hey if i get a part-time job and get paid 10 million and uh get to have fun as he likes to uh why not do it and you know certainly maybe magic deserves plenty of criticism here for a number of things one being that he thought he could do this job and compete with really smart people who make this their life's work and grind on this 16 hours a day that because he's magic johnson he could half-ass it and do a better job but hey you know i'm not the one who offered him the job so right and and that's what get what is the important part of this for me i I, one of my chestnuts is that ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the nba and if for whatever reason you want to have a figurehead and gm president of basketball operation salary is not subject to the salary cap and the luxury tax you can do it but you better make sure that you have the framework and support underneath them to make sure that if that they have the right information to make decisions or that maybe other people are integrally involved and magic's more the salesman which you know maybe is part of what happened with lebron i think lebron wanted to go to the lakers anyway but it doesn't seem like they have that you know from from various decisions yeah this this just in yeah and i mean they they have made some good draft picks they have made some good moves i mean we talked about how how aggressively they went after cap space i think some of that was also being helped by like for example the Cavs taking on jordan clarkson's contract the Cavs overvaluing him how's that working out for cleveland but still made, made those sorts of trades and i think that also ties in with some of the other decisions dubious decisions that magic talked about in the same interview yeah uh, we should know first before we talk about that that palinka denied any uh friction with magic and that 
have been kind of great if he admitted disappointed to it, though. And, and blah, blah, but, you know, certainly. And Magic also saying about Polinka that all these agents told him, oh, don't trust Polinka, blah, blah, before he took the job. He didn't know Rob at all. Uh, he thought they were working well together, but Polinka, you know, was really uh, backstabbing. Magic saying that he wanted Polinka to be president of basketball operations. He was only planning on taking the job for three years anyway. Uh, so, but there were some other interesting discussions as well, and credit again to uh, Kellerman and Stephen A, and, and I uh, forget the third host name, but because uh, I can't say I watch that show regularly. Magic, to his credit, admitted the mistake in letting Brooke Lopez go. He used the word spacing a number of times in the interview, uh, and the Zubach trade came up uh, as well uh, for Max Kellerman, and he asked Magic about it. And he said, ah, you know, Zubach didn't play with the Clippers, and we needed to get some shooting. You know, I had to rectify the mistakes from the summer, and probably worst part of it again this speaking to the lack of communication that and processes that they have magic was like well you know we he, we wanted to use cast space this summer not understanding i guess that zubach's cap hold is going to be tiny as a restricted free agent and you know it'd be worth it to hold on to him you pay six hundred thousand bucks or whatever it is more than what the minimum cap hold would be it's worth it to keep him around for that well, so and they can always renounce him if for whatever reason that six hundred thousand yeah. matters that, that zubach wasn't going to take his qualifying offer so yeah that's it's yeah. it was a it was a big value loss for no reason that's why i said it was the least defensible trade of the entire league well year. and also thinking that muscala was going to solve any of their problems which uh he did not yeah surprise surprise mike muscala hasn't solved problems on a bunch of different teams over the last couple of years uh you know he talked about drafting lonzo and says that he still believes in him and believes in the young guys and on the davis trade he said that he said to dell dumps hey let's not discuss the content of our offers in the media he blamed dell dumps for the those leaks which if that were if it were in fact Dell Demps leaking it was pretty smart because you'll recall the LA Times was reporting a lot of those leaks so for Dell Demps to like leak it to the LA Times and make it look like it was coming from the Lakers side pretty smart if that's in fact what he did uh and you know he said hey Russell he it sounded like he put a lot of blame on the whole uh he called him shaggy p incident with uh with Russell and that to me is not a great reason to trade Russell although they he as he of course noted they got Kuzma in that trade they got Brooke Lopez and they got some extra space um they you got know, off I, of we, I mean we thought yeah they got off of Moscow I mean we thought that was a good trade at the time uh to be sure but so I think Magic just probably should have pointed to those reasons instead of oh yeah he offended Nick Young this like you know Lakers fixture going forward at age 32 or whatever he was like now we got to get rid of him seemed a, a little ridiculous but whatever uh that's about all I got on that anything else uh to say on this on this Lakers issue oh I guess Ramona then reported that that, you know, likely from Genie Bus directly, that Magic never came to Genie despite being asked a number of times about whether there were any issues with Palinka. He supposedly never brought those up. And then he goes to the media and discusses those again. So, I mean, certainly plenty of blame to go around here, but it all ultimately comes down to, to Genie Bus and her decision to hire Magic Johnson, which, although it went okay for the first six months or so, was a complete disaster. And so we're hiring all these other people and blah, blah. Like, I, and also to just to not to hire magic and then be like oh yeah we're putting you with rob palinka that's what magic said we're putting you with rob and oh there was also a note for magic that he wanted to fire luke walton and then tim harris on the business side comes in and says don't fire luke walton and so magic was like all right well if i don't actually have the power i'm gonna resign uh but you know to not let magic pick his own people under him that he trusted whether those people were competent or not he didn't pick any of them so why is he gonna listen to them yeah and we we criticized that in terms of the head coaching decision that the lakers made subsequently where they hired it seems like frank vogel and then jason kidd kittlefinger being there being on the coaching staff whether vogel wanted it or not i don't think i've heard anything definitive on that he held court today incidentally um or was that yesterday he, the same day as magic's thing oh and, yeah yeah and, and magic yeah magic firing both barrels right before the introductory presser when palinka would be speaking uh and vogel was yeah, uh was fantastic fun. but let, let's pivot to you talked about dell demps to the team that is now run by other people and that includes trajan langdon trajan langdon is the new general manager of the New Orleans Pelicans. He is below David Griffin, but still has an important part in it. And importantly, from Will Guillory, Gail Benson, we, we've talked before about the additions and the spending she's going to do on the practice facility for the training staff that came up. But also, they're going to be adding more staff to the front office to help to help David Griffin and Trajan Langdon out there. And also, they have parted ways with David Booth, who had been in their front office for about a decade. Yeah, as director of player personnel i i know david pretty well he's uh, actually uh he's a, a 
attended sports business classroom executive program. So I, I hope he uh, lands on his feet. Former uh, DePaul player when I was growing up. So I, I knew him from uh, or knew of him back in those days. Uh, in Minnesota, Ryan Saunders has reached agreement on the coach speak multi-year deal to become the head coach permanently of the Wolves. They had done a couple of other interviews. I don't happen to recall who that was even with necessarily. No huge names, but Gerson Rosa circling back to Saunders and he had an introductory press conference today. Uh, in Philly, James Ennis will decline his $1.8 million player option for next season and become a free agent. Probably what, what I would have done there yes, as well. Absolutely. Um, you'll recall he signed that deal with the Rockets. The Rockets, in theory, could only offer the minimum. They could have offered him some of the minimum level, but uh, instead they gave him a player option for this year and it looked like the way it was going in Houston, he might actually have to opt into that, but he had a solid playoffs and uh, Philly may look to re-sign him. We'll, we'll see. They would have to dip into an exception to pay him more than 120% of what he made last year or dip into cap space, depending on what happens with uh, Harris and Butler. On the player option front, as had been speculated earlier in the, in the, in the offseason for them, Dallas big man Dwight Powell declined a $10.2 million player option he had for the 1920 season. That makes him a free agent. It will be an interesting negotiation. I mean, there was already that kind of loose stuff from Mark Cuban on a radio show about how they like were going to they were going to agree with him. And because of Powell declining his option, his cap hold goes actually goes up because that's a higher proportion than his raise to about 14 million. Now you can replace that 14 million with a new contract value should they come to an agreement or they could renounce him or anything else like that. So the timing of that and the the structure of the agreement will be important and I am extremely 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 skeptical of paying somebody who I feel is a backup center significant money. We saw this with Mason Plumley. We've seen this in numerous situations. Those the margin between those players is lower and maybe part of their argument is that Powell fits well with Kristaps Porzingis. I still would be very reluctant to give him significant money, but he I'm sure he opted out for. Yeah, I mean 10.3 million what he was going to make it is a very significant number i would be shocked if he could you know maybe he could get more than 10 million guaranteed over multiple years on the market you know maybe you could see him as a i see him as kind of more of a five million dollar a year backup center if that you know he doesn't really have the shooting range or the ability to move his feet defensively to play the four particularly well he is one of the best role men in the nba but this to me strikes me as very similar to Pau gasol opting out in the summer of 2017 where he will give the Mavericks more flexibility they now in theory have 39.4 million in cap space and you know there might be an understanding Mark Cuban uh I'm certain has had some discussions like this before all these years where Dirk was taking less where you know if they have a chance to use all of that money and get a guy you know a Kevin Durant or something I mean I'm sure they'll try and call him and likely get turned down because he hasn't been talked about going there but uh you know they would then bring Powell back and then they could take care of him again the next year or they'll do some sort of machination to get more cap space and they'll probably end up overpaying him in the end because of the fact that he opted out and kind of is doing them a favor to get more space this year but he is a valuable player and we'll see what the number ends up being you know if it ends up being eight years or, or eight million a year for three years you know that's probably too much and you only got two million extra space was it really worth it if he, they end up dropping that number down to five million and he's on kind of an appropriate contract going forward or who knows maybe he opted out and there's no uh there's no agreement in place but considering cuban said they are going to extend him I would imagine there's last piece of news the Cavaliers already hired their head coach in John Beeline but they now hired one of the other people who interviewed for that position JB Bakerstaff to be the associate head coach he will receive a long-term deal another coach speak thing and the reporting that's out there which I, th- I thought this was interesting the phrasing of it that the Cavs wanted Beeline to hire an assistant lead assistant to ease the transition from college to the NBA Bakerstaff has been a coach in the league for a really long time obviously the son of the son of an NBA coach as well and will We'll see how how much he shepherds that transition and i mean it is true that memphis defended a whole lot better than cleveland did last year so maybe maybe Bickerstaff can help with with giving them an identity. I th- I still think Cleveland is a long way away. My offseason preview of them is actually coming out on Wednesday at the Athletic. But if they think he can be a part of the solution, more power to him. Yeah, and perhaps Bickerstaff, who's well known as being popular among his, his players, uh, mm-hmm. as pr- in particular as an assistant, can help sand off those college rough edges in relating to NBA players for the sixty six year old beeline. Uh, anything else to talk about before we go here? I'll have a couple pieces coming out for the Athletic. The 
off-season previews of the Cavs and the Trailblazers will be out. And then I'm get, it looks like the timing is going to be on Wednesday. One of the questions I've been asked about a lot is what what's happening with Sean Livingston. And it got me down a rabbit hole because I admit that in my CBA nerddom, retirement is one of my big weak points. And so I actually had to go down that rabbit hole and figure out those logistics and put it into a piece. So that's coming out uh, Wednesday at The Athletic. All right, we'll be back. Well, let's see here. Now that we have a Saturday game, we may actually take either tomorrow. Yeah, we might take tomorrow off and then do Saturday instead. That's probably what we should do, actually. Uh, so we can do Thursday and Saturday now that we have that. So uh, we will talk to you on Thursday night then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 